Welcome to the worst nightmare of all. Reality. Explore the lesser-known stories of our unknown world. Join the pursuit of the paranormal with Ash and Greg. Welcome to this week's episode of Pursuit of the Paranormal. Uh, we've got a great guest this week. Uh, we've got Nathaniel Gillis, who is a demonologist. So it's a, a new subject that we're uh, covering this week. I'm looking forward to it. How about you, Greg? Yeah, absolutely. As as you just mentioned, we've uh, we've not covered off this kind of uh, subject before. <clears throat> so super interested to, uh, to hear more about it. It's not something... I, I've been doing paranormal stuff for a few years, but it's not sort of an area that I've dabbled in, as it were. Yeah, um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing more mm. about uh, the work that uh, Nathaniel's done. Yeah. So welcome along, Nathaniel. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm glad to be here. It's an honor. Honors all hours. Um, so we, we were just mentioning there that we uh, it's not a subject that we've really broached before on our podcasts. Uh, mm. We've been... We've been putting out uh, an episode a week for the last seven months um where we come where we speak to people about aliens the paranormal um but we haven't dabbled this far into the paranormal so when we talk about demonology what what does that mean well demonology as a study is it's about a species of evil that to date our ancestors our scholars academics uh, have really had a hard time defining. Um, you know, the, the ancient texts tell us that demons exist, but they were liminal beings, which were beings that live in between being a god and a man. And so it took me a while to kind of get my position on the phenomenon. And my position is that demons are evil disincarnate consciousness. And so that's been my uh, discipline and my study for the last 15, 20 years is to not just understand what our ancestors believed these entities were, but also how it uh, plays into the hands of the UFO abduction phenomenon. And so that's really where my work is centered today. Okay, so we'll, we'll touch on the UFO bit a little bit later, because that, that's that's an area where we, um, we're quite passionate about as well. So you say you've been into to this field for about 15, 20 years. What what got you into what got you into it? Because it's quite a um, specialized part of the paranormal, I would say. Correct. So, uh, so, so at the age of eight years old, my parents had moved into a new house, and the house was rife with a uh, malevolent presence. So it was actually the very first time we toured the home that I encountered my very first uh, full-bodied apparition. Wow. It was a little girl, she's a beautiful little girl, but she was hiding underneath the bed in the room that I was going to be taken over once we moved in. And so once we did move in, the entity began to mutate. It evolved into something that was far darker, more sinister than anything I could have imagined. And uh, so from the ages of 8 to 12, um, you know, I, I encountered this presence that sometimes it would manifest as a dark cloud hovering in the corner of the room. Other times it would, uh, one time it was a shadow figure that was seven feet tall that was staring at me from the other side of the window at night. 
so, you know, those experiences left a profound impact on me as a, a young person. And the older I got, the more I wanted to investigate it, to understand it, and to help others who are possibly experiencing what I experienced at that young age. So that's how I got into it. Wow. So you were quite young when this was happening. Um, did you talk to your parents or were they experiencing the same thing or did you talk to them about it? I did talk to them about it. It was a very unique time in all of our lives. My, both of my parents were working full-time jobs. They were working first shift. And for whatever reason, the entity would always victimize me at nighttime. And so uh, if you can imagine an eight-year-old kid being frightened out of its skin <laughs> and crawling into bed at night, waking them up. And they're like, you know, we got to get up in here two or three hours. You're doing this every night. So, you know, it, it was a very lonely time because they didn't understand fully what I was experiencing. And obviously I didn't either at the time. And uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a statement, kind of a cliche that people always say, but the teacher is always silent during the test. And for whatever reason, I had to be alone to fight that entity. And I'm thankful today for it because it did provide me an immunity to a lot of these dark forces. So how did that affect you? I obviously growing up and yeah. feel, like, like you said, feeling alone pretty much. So what was that like growing up as a teenager <laughs> with those experiences? Oh my God, it was awful. It was awful. So here's what I would do. You know, I had my own, my own coping mechanisms. Um, so usually what I would do is I would stay up all night long until the sun rose for what, for some reason, which I, I don't still don't understand to this day, but for some reason I felt comfortable when the sun rose, when the sun rose, I would capture about maybe 40 minutes of sleep before school. Then I would go to school, obviously just dog tired, and I would fall asleep at my desk to the point where I failed grades doing that. You know, it was, it was an impossible, an impossible lifestyle to keep up. But it affected me in ways that uh, are unspeakable and, and you can't really articulate them. I mean, when you're dealing with a presence that would enter my room, it would make me feel like a bug, something that would make me feel smaller than a molecule. It would take up every crevice, every uh, crack and corner of the room. And I had to learn how to live with it. And so one of my only, one of my coping mechanisms, one of my best coping mechanisms was to project an air of confidence in its presence. So like if I would go downstairs alone in the basement, um, I would actually just kind of act cocky and arrogant around it. And it, it was very interesting the way I would respond. It would not victimize me as much. And so, it, you know, it gave me insight into how some of these entities think and how some of these have their uh, their own victimology. But that's, that, that's really how it affected me. And, you know, the older I got, the more I outgrew some of those fears, thank God. And that's really what brought me to where I am today. So looking back, when you... Uh looking around the house for that first time and you saw that girl underneath the bed mm -hmm. what what were you thinking i didn't know, so what, know what i'd be thinking <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know it was it was so funny my dad you know i was a kid you know he took me by the hand and said okay take a look around this room figure out where you're going to put your gaming system your bed and, and everything and yeah. you know this is going to be yours if we do end up purchasing the house so he went back into the living room with the realtor and my mother I could hear them talking, and as they're talking, I'm looking around the room, and I decide, you know what, I'm going to kneel down and check underneath the bed. I didn't know why. I just felt drawn. When I did, I uh, pulled up the blanket, 
And as soon as I did, my eyes met the eyes of a six-year-old black-headed girl. She was pale in complexion. She had a white linen dress that looked to have been made during the turn of the century. When I did, she shrieked in like fear. It was very unique. I did too. I kind of, it was, I was startled. And uh, we both were startled. And then I watched her shimmy her little body all the way to the back of the wall to where she was the furthest to me as possible. When she did that, I remember dropping the blanket back down, getting up and just walking right out of the room into the <laughs> living room. I didn't say a word until we got in the car. Um, then when we got in the car, you know, I was still trying to rationalize what I experienced. I had no concept of demonic presences. I had no understanding of the paranormal. To me, honestly, I asked my dad, I said, you know, it, it appears that uh, the family that's selling the house left their little girl in the house. <laughs> I didn't know. You know, and so my dad started laughing. He's like, no, you're crazy. He's like, uh, that was an elderly couple that had died. And uh, their kids that are adults, they're, they're putting the house up for sale. So that was my introduction to this, but um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was pretty funny at first. But the more I stayed in that house, the more I realized, hey, listen, Nate's not crazy. This stuff's actually happening. <laughs> so what what do you think um, it is or it was? I think it was somebody that committed suicide. Mm -hmm. um, I say that because for two reasons, really. Number one, that was the heaviest spirit I felt in that house. Um, there were nightmares that I had months at a time that were all in black and white. And it consisted of someone putting a uh, gun in their mouth and pulling the trigger. And then when they would pull the trigger, I would always constantly wake up from a dream. And it was usually the same time at night, about two or three in the morning, I uh, would wake up in the room to be cold. I would be in a cold sweat. And it's as if that entity was staring at me right in the face, but I just couldn't see it. And so it was no, that's the number one reason why I believed it was an entity that, or a person that killed themselves. Number two, it's because of how many times I've been used to help people who are fighting suicide. For some reason, people are either drawn to me who are having that spiritual battle, uh, or it's either that or I've actually helped them. Like I'll be in conversations with them. And I'll feel that spirit or a spirit that's committed. So I just walk by and I'll just stop mid-sentence and deal with that attachment then and there. So it's not just what I experienced in that home that gives me that belief, but it's the insight, the giftedness that came from that trauma that makes me believe that what I encountered was someone that had um, taken their own life. I know that's heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah so I know. So would you consider those early experiences as being evil or did that come later? Um, okay, so I think that came later. Uh, see, whenever I was encountering this evil or whatever you want to call it, consciousness, I should say, uh, I kept telling myself that maybe I was wrong in fearing it. Maybe it was because I didn't understand what it was that I feared. And so whenever I would write in my diary or write notes about what I was experiencing then, I would simply suggest that this phenomenon was a language and that it was my, uh, my responsibility to understand and interpret it. And, and aside from my human emotions and my, um, my feelings of inferiority or anything that I thought it was projecting upon me, 
I told myself that I had the responsibility to interpret the phenomenon with my emotions aside. And I think that's what really projected me into the literature of demonology, studying consciousness and understanding that in many cases, the paranormal field, at least in demonology, we've misunderstood this as demonic and we've demonized disincarnate consciousness. And it's a, it's a very damning thing. So <clears throat> you say that we've sort of, uh, we're classing it as demonic, but you don't, you don't necessarily think it is. What, what do you think it is? Well, the, the problem with the traditions of the demonic is that they're all rooted in the ancient Near East. And when you go into Mesopotamia, the Levant, the cradle of civilization, uh, f far before, long before we had any horns or hooves, we have rituals, uh, funerary rites, burial rites, that included when someone dies, their consciousness leaves their body as a wind-like spirit. Mm -hmm. And if you get into demonology in different terms, you see that what they were all describing was consciousness 100% of the time. There were different writings, obviously, in the Bible and in the Quran, the Hadith, all these different Abrahamic religions. But there were writings that would suggest that we're dealing with supernatural forces. But the truth be told, even when we're dealing with Lilith and these different entities, Lil was a Mesopotamian word for a spirit that leaves the body at death. So when you get into, and this is, I know this is going to be very deep, but if you get into the rich heritage of Jewish folklore, they took Lil of Mesopotamia and they created Lilith or Lilith, which is a demon a demoness who would collect these semen samples of men. And so if you look at the, even the etymology of the words here, we're looking at consciousness that survives bodily death. And so once I, once I understood that, then my research went into the fertile soil of the exorcistic rituals. What were they? What, you know, what, what was the purpose? And so when we get into not just the demonology, but we get into the exorcistic rites, they were never designed to cast horns and hooves out of people. They were designed to cure people of corpse pollution. Comes right out of Numbers 19 and 11. So what we're looking at here, guys, is a systematic, I guess, systematic movement of symbols and and. And, and different uh, things that, that would make us believe, obviously, throughout history, that they are, um, you know, that they're all basically about horse nuts. And they're not, guys. They're not. So that's my point. I don't want to ramble because there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah. No, it's all good. Yep. So it's interesting that you were just speaking there um, about the fact that this Lilith was taking semen samples from right. people. So to touch on something that you spoke about earlier, uh, about a link between aliens and demons and the demonic, that sounds very similar to a UFO abduction and what, what takes place during certain people's experiences when they get abducted by UFOs or abducted by an alien race. Right. <clears throat> Is that your thought as well? Oh, my God. Absolutely. 100%. Mm -hmm. I'll die on that hill. I will absolutely die on that hill if I have to. I think that these are one and the same. 
our mm-hmm. ancestors interpreted these entities as deceased people, ghosts, mm-hmm. translucent beings that would walk through walls but be solid enough to eat food with you. That's what we're dealing with. Um, now, if we're going to get to the, because I know we have a, we only have an hour or so, but um, if we're going to get into the link between UFO abduction phenomenon and uh, demonology, it's it's absolutely irrefutable. Number one, there are only two kinds of study in the world that would have a female spirit coming to a man and tricking him into intercourse. And at the end of the act, harvest semen from him as a succubus. Let's mm-hmm. put that to the side. The yep. second phenomenon we have is the incubus. The incubus phenomenon is when these entities will manifest to women, which I've, I'm working with a dozen of them right now as we're like just today even talking about uh, where the entity will manifest to the woman in the image of a husband mm-hmm. or former lover or someone the woman would be attracted enough to have intercourse with. And now at, it's not just a, a dream demon, as some people would say. It's not just a uh, an, an imaginative uh, state that she's in. No, these entities are grooming women into intercourse and are actually leaving semen samples in the womb. They've been doing this for millennia. Father Sinestrea Vimino, a Franciscan priest, collected these semen samples. So what are we dealing with here, guys? We're dealing with a life form that's using our women to self-replicate their species. Mm-hmm. It's the same phenomenon. We're fighting them. I agree with Steve Mara, which I know you guys are probably big fans. I'm a huge, like he's one of my heroes. I agree with him. We're dealing with different battles on multiple fronts, but it's the same. These are the same entities. And I can go deep, deep, deep into that. But that's my, that's my, uh, you know, that's where I'm at right now. It's, <laughs> I'm getting past it now, man. So, that's <laughs> all, <right>, <laughs> no, all good. <clears throat> So, so on this on on topic, like say of demons and the research that you've done, uh, where does the devil come in uh, to your research? Uh, well, I don't, it hasn't come in at all. I mean, if we look at Satan, he's a species, not an entity. If you go to right. Psalms one hundred nine and six, we're dealing with an adversary. He plays an adversarial role. And if, even if you go into the name of Lucifer, how art thou fallen on Lucifer, son of the one, all that. that that's, he's not talking about a deity. He's talking about a king, the king of Babylon. And so if we're going to look for an hierarchy amongst demonology, I do not believe it's there. Um, I do believe we're dealing with a, a species that is disincarnate, that is placing consciousness in bodies. And if we even get into the literature of the UFO abduction phenomenon, taking consciousness out of our bodies or our babies' bodies and implanting it into hybrid bodies. That's not Nathaniel. I didn't make that up. That's, that's what the literature is telling us. That's what the abductees are telling us. And so I fear that if the fields of ufology and demonology do not put our uh, disagreements and grievances aside, we will never fully grasp the, the understanding of what these entities are. And I think t- tremendously, uh, religion has done a major disservice to the field because even though I am a demonologist by discipline, my, my uh, research is too expansive. We don't even have a vocabulary yet to, you know, it's very difficult for me to, you know, I don't fit anywhere because I don't believe these are fallen angels or devils. Or even if they're that they're the dogmatic version of demons, I think they've eclipsed that blueprint. 
What we do have here, guys, throughout all of history is a species that are taking women, they're implanting semen, they're pulling from dead people and alive, and implanting in the wombs of strangers. In my book, The Skin That Crawls, I have a chapter in there. It's called Born and Believed, which we'll get into that. But I have a sentence in there that I think everybody needs to ponder. I said that they have broken our women into bridges and have walked the length of their trauma into time. That is the hybrid program that David Jacobs speaks of. That's what they're doing. So these, uh, these women that are being uh, um, implanted with the semen, uh, you said that there was a sample yes. that been, ta- been taken of this yes. uh, semen. Has like done tests on these on the semen? We have a yet. Yeah, they have a yet. Yeah. No. So the earliest one to do that was uh, Sinestroya Bimino. Montague Summers was another uh, vampirologist, demonologist that did that. Uh, the semen samples that were being left were, they looked like they had been um, harvested from a deceased person. It wow. was almost as if, yeah, it's a very terrifying reality we're living mm-hmm. in right now. Uh, but uh, they, who was it? It was uh, Summers and Sinestrari agreed, though centuries or uh, at least, yeah, centuries apart from each other. They agreed that these entities were milking the carcasses of the recently deceased. We would call those vampires. Those, that's what they were doing. It wasn't just the, the blood they were taking. They were reanimating corpses, taking the seed, and then going in as an incubus, right? Because that's the succubus form. Mm-hmm. The incubus would, would change into a man and then seduce a woman through a dream state. And then the woman thinks, okay, it's not real, you know. This is, okay, let me say this. This is what we call the missing fetus syndrome. You see mm-hmm. where I'm going? They would seduce the woman. The woman thinks it's just a dream. And the next day, she's like, okay, no big deal. You know, a month or two goes by. She's pregnant. Who got her pregnant? And when we're dealing with this incubus phenomenon, I've worked with people where the the incubus spirit has made the husband impotent. Why, right? It's because it's trying to track who's going to get this woman pregnant. Now, I will suggest this, and I'm not even going to suggest, I'm going to tell you, it's a fact. In my studies, I've worked with women all across the world who have told me that, uh, that they were abducted and that since the last abduction, they have had hysterectomies. And the, when they were abducted again, the entities, once they realized they could not breed with her. This is getting very deep. It's, I don't know of a demonologist today that's getting this deep. And it's sad, you know, but we have to get to the darkness before we understand it. But they realize, once they realize these women could no longer procreate, they, the phenomenon disappeared and they were never visited again. And so what we have here, again, it's not just pleasure. See, ancient demonologists believe that these spirits were just after intercourse and, and eroticism and pleasure. That's not true. They're self-replicating their species through us. And it's a very, very big problem for humanity. So why why would they self-replicate through us? What what is stopping them from self-replicating themselves? I don't think they can. I don't think they can because I believe these are disincarnate entities. I believe these are people who've lived and died, mm-hmm. and I think that they've evolved. Now, if we go back to what's called the Atrahasis Epic, it's one of the oldest texts in the world. And it talks about what some of these entities are. And it's very interesting, guys. Oh, my God. First of all, it says that a god and a man are mixed in the clay. 
This is where we get the Genesis 1 creative narrative from. A God and a man are mixed in the clay. Then it says that the soul of a man is made from the flesh of a God. I'm going to sit that down on the side and say this. I've been in houses where we've seen apparitions. That's exactly what our ancestors were referring to, right? That is what they believe to have been the texture of deity, these apparitions, these translucent beings that we constantly hear about in UFO abduction phenomenon. So to answer your question, what do I believe they're doing? What I believe they're doing is they're making bodies that look like they're apparitions. Okay. And I can prove it. I'm sorry. No, don't, no, carry on. Sorry. Well, if we go to Genesis 6, um, the Nephilim uh, legend, we have to first understand that they that, did, that, that legend did not originate in Hebrew consciousness. They borrowed that from the Apkalu legend and the Sumerian folklore. So if we're going to understand that entire uh, story, we have to understand what and who we're talking about. So in Genesis 6, it says that these entities are fallen angels. But they're not fallen angels because the Hebrew word for angel is malachim. It means ghost, right? Mm -hmm. It's incredible here. Okay, so in Genesis 6, it also refers to the Rephaim. The Rephaim is also a borrowed what's called a migratory loan word that they took. Rephaim was first found in Mesopotamian ritual bowls. The word it originated from is Repayumai, which means deceased ancestors, ghosts. So if we go to the Genesis 6 narrative, this is very interesting, and I'll, I'll make this point and I'll shut up. But um, according to what's called the Apocryphon of John, which is a Coptic manuscript preserved by Egyptian monks, this, this, this manuscript was about Genesis 6. It was about this Apkalu legend. It says something that really piqued my interest. It says that when these entities manifested to women, they manifested to the women in the image of a lover or their husbands. These aren't fallen angels. They're incubi. <laughs> yep. And then it says that they groomed them into intercourse. And here's why I say they're making bodies that look like they're apparitions. It also says that at the moment of conception, I'll keep it PG for everybody. At the, moment of, <laughs> at the moment of conception, climax, they stared into the eyes of the female. And then they change their apparition to what they truly look like. Now, why, why were they doing that? Well, according to history, that was what's called an obstructic tradition. An obstructic, that's just a fancy uh, Fraser Crane word uh, for uh, childbearing infertility. I love Fraser, by the way. I had to throw that in there. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> highbrow. They call it highbrow British humor. But that's what they call it in the States, man. I eat it up. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's good. So, uh, but it's, it's, it's a reference to childbearing infertility. But what they believed was that whatever man the woman was focused upon at the moment of climax, she will birth the material image of in her womb as a child. What are they doing? They don't have bodies. They're creating a body that looks like their apparition. And so in my book, I talk about how the ghost grows in the body of the baby. That's what we have in Genesis 6, when we have these entities that were necromancers. They're necromancers. They pull souls out of bodies and put souls in other bodies. And so if we're going to get into that, it's, we're right back into Dr. Carla Turner's work. 
Bud Hopkins, David Jacobs, uh, where Betty Luca, Betty Andreas and Luca case, where they pulled her soul out of her sleeping body. We're, we're right there. And um, it's, it's a terrifying reality. <laughs> I have a question. Um, so they're doing this self-replication through women um, mm-hmm. and humans. Where do these bodies, babies, wherever they, they are, where, where do they go? Where? We don't know. We don't know. What we do know for sure is that at least in the mind of the abductors, uh, it's almost as if it's a form of reincarnation. Uh, matter of fact, if we go into Dr. Carla Turner's work, uh, matter of fact, okay, how about some bibliography here for those listening that will listen rather. Um, Dr. Carla Turner has a very early book of hers. It's called Taken. And in it, she discusses an experiencer she was working with by the name of Lisa. She was probably a, a fake name, but whatever, who cares? Um, but anyways, this Lisa individual had a dream. This is where we are in humanity. It's not just, these aren't bunny rabbits and jelly beans. She's in an abduction experience, and Jesus, not the Hebrew Israelite rabbi, well, you know, but it's, this is the uh, Swedish Presbyterian version of Jesus, right? Because they're feeding into the belief system of the in- individual, right? What do you believe he is? What does he look like? Okay, I'll manifest as that. God help us. It walks up to her, holds his hand out, and says, all seed is mine. Hmm. Makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. All seed is yours. Yes, it is. After that abduction experience, two months later, she finds out she's pregnant. Wow. How? Right? Mm-hmm. And then three months after that, so now we're in five months, she realizes, okay, something is going on in my belly. I'm having contractions or I'm bleeding or there's something going on uh, within my womb. I need help. She goes to the hospital. The doctor says, uh, yeah, your baby's he's gone. Now, got to catch this. I stayed up for three days, literally three days. I called every mentor I have. I bugged my dad until he wouldn't pick up the phone anymore because I was grieving in what I read. She said there was scar tissue in there, but my baby's gone. She's abducted again. They give her, in the abduction, they give her a hybrid baby, not hers. She says, this is very troubling. She says, she's weeping, talking to Dr. Carla Turner. She said, and I have no doubt in my mind that the consciousness that was in my baby, they had stuck in that hybrid. Wow. So, so I, you know, I have a lot of people on Twitter and all these people out there saying, you know what, high-fiving each other and, and saying, man, we're not dealing with the threat. Hold on a minute, guys. Hold on a minute. It's almost as if a lot of people don't know that they're, they're completely ignorant of the literature of the UFO abduction phenomenon. If they have the ability to pull souls out of bodies, religion and science has to sit down and repent because, dear God, we are staring in the face of an apocalyptic species that is transcending every microcosm of reality we know to exist. And I know I'm ranting, but my God, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a very troubling time. You know, as you mentioned, they talked a lot about religion and Genesis and Judaism. Have you found that the other, all the other religions, do they have like the same similar stories like, in their texts? 
Uh, some of them do. Some of them do. And, and like if we go back into the, the fairy lore, the European, um, uh, just European legend. Yeah, we do have that. I mean, we have the changelings where these entities, I mean, it's just the same thing, guys. They've mutated in some of their pathology, but it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they would go and they would take a baby from the family and then exchange it. You know, it would look like a little bit like the baby. Of course, we didn't have the word hybrid then. We have it yeah. now. You know, it's just a different term. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if we, if we go back into to biblical history, we have the Romans in the first century writing about these flying shields and, and, and flying shields. And so yesterday's flying shields became today's flying saucers. The phenomenon's been here. It's just that, that what we've been forced to do is grapple with the terminologies. And uh, but but guys, I can't stress it enough. I, I, I've been working with a, a girl in um, India who had the entity has come to her in the images of every man she's ever been with wow. trying to groom her into intercourse. Why? It's trying to implant semen. That's exactly what it's all. They've always been doing. Dr. Carla Turner was working with uh, Ted Rice. He was a, a, a renowned, uh, I guess he was a, what was he, a medium. And he, he was working with guides and everything. And finally, when they went into some of his uh, some of his accounts, he said, "You know," he said, "My earliest recollection of being abducted was when I was ten years old." Let's look at the sexual pathology here. First of all, let's just act like we're criminal profilers for a fleeting moment. He's abducted with his grandmother at ten. His grandmother in the ship. His grandmother is approached by a hybrid entity, who instantly tries to. Uh, groom her into intercourse. Her body begins to respond. She's feeling emotions of eroticism and passion. Instantly, she catches it midair and says, okay, hold on. She said, I've only been intimate with one man in my life. It's been my husband, and he's been dead for 11 years. Well, well, well. Behavior patterns will not change. What's the behavioral pattern? From the darkness emerges an apparition of her husband. Uh, I guarantee you it's not her husband's semen they're implanting. Mm. So so we have a, a very uh, – it's, 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 it's an apocalyptic species that we're dealing with. And I think that it's high time that the field of demonology, they, you know, they, they slay the sacred cow of thinking these are fallen angels. They're fallen in the sense that they've been dead. They're angels in the sense that they're ancestors, Malachim. And what they've been doing is they've been self-replicating their species and uh, existing – because we exist. Well, they're not invading us and killing us all. Of course they're not. Right? Just like we're not going to go out there and wipe out all cows. We keep breeding them. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean we're not a threat. Can I ask, do you know why only certain people this affects? I don't. Um, the question, okay, here's a question. I don't know why only a certain people remember. Mm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's a very, it's a very good question. But the victimology is is unique, um, and it's it's systematic and sweeping. We have cases where, it, okay, if it's a woman, usually it's the mother who was abducted first, and it even goes to the daughters. And I don't know if it's because it's easier to to map their genetics. You know, we've already got one genome there. We've already got one set of DNA. You know, it's easier to to progress with that lineage. I don't know. Um, I do not believe that they're sexually attracted to our women, because um, that's what a lot of demonologists wrestled with in the medieval periods. Uh, you know, or medieval period. You know, so I don't believe that they're after. Okay, you know, I like women that are you know Latino women, or I like women that have black hair or whatever. No, right? We're dealing with a species that is um, they have their own morality, 
which should terrify us. It's like standing yeah. across, you know what I mean? It, yeah, so there's it, a lot to talk about, bro. <laughs> yeah. So, it, so w- when we've been talking to people about UFOs and abductions, it, it does tend to be a pattern that some people, it's either just random people or it appears random. And then other people, there is a succession throughout the years of it happening. Right. So we, we nice. spoke to a, a guy recently, and almost nightly he's being abducted. Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter where he is, if he's at friends or out of his house, anywhere, anywhere mm-hmm. he stays, it happens regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was interesting that you say, when I said about the, the type of people that it happens to and you said it, the type of people it could happen to essentially that it's only people that can remember it happening so we we could potentially right. all be, we could all be being taken as it were um i suppose it's and just not know bomb. anything about which is which is probably even more scary to think about than mm-hmm. uh somebody down the road who gets abducted three or four times for his life or her life um, yeah, yeah we, we actually had an interest in we had a chat with some guys the other day and they were talking about the fact that one of them used to see this figure at the end of his bed he used to wake up and see this figure and it, he'd just get terrified at seeing this figure and then um he'd go and see his parents or whatnot and one of his friends said maybe he's actually just putting you back rather than coming into your room Right, and that's an right. even more terrifying thought. The fact that yep. he's woken up because he's just been put back rather than. And I, uh, apart from the experiences that you've had growing up, have you had any experiences like this um, in your sort of more adult life? Okay, so I've I've had well, okay, so so I've had one experience, and I've never really shared it because I don't know if it was due to my work, you know, or me reading abduction accounts. Um, I know that it happened in it's like a dream state, but when I woke up from it, it was just it left a profound impact on me. Um, I was in a room, and I was uh, I was with other people who were obviously terrified, terrified, terrified. And there was an entity that came around the corner, and um, I just remember people disappearing. And when I when when it came to me, it was like I felt myself going through a vacuum. And when I went through a vacuum, it was like I just woke up in this other room, where um, when I looked up, there were uh, it's like a glass, like a, a big glass room, like where you would have surgeries and stuff, and people would observe it. Mm-hmm. But it was massive, it was huge, and there was a bunch of us in there. And I was watching one man who was having a complete meltdown. I mean, he was having a complete meltdown. And there was a, a girl there that uh, she looked human. And I'm looking at her and I'm putting it together. Okay, what's going on? And I'm asking her questions. And, and like I said, this is why I don't tell anybody about it. Because I don't know if it was, you know, I don't know if it was a dream. I want to say it's a dream because God, I don't, I don't want this to be real, you know, like, oh, no. Anyways, she had asked me what's going on. She's like, you know, blah, blah, blah. I said, look, I said, uh, you know, I said, well, we're dealing with a, a coronavirus. It's wiping a bunch of us out. You know, and she's like, well, I understand. She said, my mother went through something similar. And so when I started to talk to her, I was trying to um, kind of get a feel. I was terrified. I even I told her that. She said, you know, are you okay? I said, no, I'm petrified. I said, I'm terrified right now. 
I said, I am, I am terrified. And she said, well, okay. She said, uh, she started talking to me. And it was very interesting because she stopped me mid-sentence. She, she said, do not try to be my friend just like that. As soon as I got it out, you know, I said something. I'm not your friend. Do not try to be my friend. And when she said that, there was an elderly man that came to, came to her. Didn't even look at me as, as if I wasn't there. And he asked her about me. And she said, he's okay. He's okay. And then he looked up towards the windows as if there was somebody watching. And that's when I realized, okay, there, there's a lot more going on. And then they told me to stare at a wall. They put me, uh, they turned my head, put me in a chair towards the wall. And they said, before we are going to ask you to do this next activity, we need you to focus. And uh, then they put, and then after that, I turned around and went to a table and I was putting like these objects together. It was very weird. So I don't know if that was, um, but that was the only time in my entire life where I was, I've had other dreams, but that left such an impact on me and a feeling of like I came in contact with something. So that, that would be, if, if I could point a finger at something, that, that would be it. Um, so <laughs> some people will probably say it was. I don't know. I don't know. We've, we've also found that when speaking to people, there's people have lots of different experiences. Right. But every one of them is personal. Yes. So, so we've had people talking, um, like this guy, that he's having them almost nightly and then he's seeing these different objects and different entities appearing in front of them and and i think one did somebody mentioned that they were being like abducted there was some entity and it was in the shape of a tree and mm -hmm. there's lots of um lots of different experiences but they're all personal so every story sounds the same uh oh, sorry every every story sounds different and there's mm -hmm. a, a wide range of experiences that people have but every mm -hmm. single one of them that we've spoken to seem completely completely uh in awe of what's happened to them they don't understand why it's happening to them mm -hmm. uh, and your explanation as to to why these abductions may be taking place certainly resonate sort of with me it, it, it sort of it it sort of brings some kind of i say normality it doesn't but, but i can understand why potentially they would be doing it doing it i've i've heard of um alien races abducting people impregnating them taking mm -hmm. semen samples and whatnot but in order to self-replicate and you talking about demons doing that kind of thing or the mm -hmm. the appearance of demons doing that it's quite uh, interesting how the, the two fields are very closely linked. Um, and it's something yeah. that we, we, we've, we speak to a lot of people whereby there's all sorts of paranormal stuff happens. Oh, yeah. And there's a UFO connection or a cryptid connection. Have you come across anything where there's been any kind of cryptids? Um, and say like a Bigfoot, a Mothman, those kind of things that um, have, have occurred in similar times, time frames as the things that are happening to these people. I have it in my research. I know other researchers have, um, at least at least with respect to the incubus, we, we don't have that in the studies. 
Now, uh, what we do have, like if we go into Ariel Master's work in his book, Eros and Evil, we do have the sexual pathology being consistent. Uh, you know, Masters writes about in the medieval period, he says that uh, these witches were being abducted by their, their demonic lovers. And in the place of the witch, they would send an apparition that looked like her in her place so the husband would not know she's gone. And this is, again, we're dealing with the same stuff here, guys. Uh, but most importantly, when we're getting into these, 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 these images that appear to people in abductions, we have children who think they're being abducted by Mickey Mouse. We have Mother Mary, the Virgin Mary, uh, who is abducting people. Again, we have, like, okay, my book, Skin Across, I have a chapter called Born of Belief. And I talk about how there has to be a permissive will that comes into play with these entities mm -hmm. when they approach us in, in something that they think we would believe in or that we believed in in the past. It's almost asking us a question. Do you believe I am who I appear to be? And I would suggest that the, throughout history, they have molded entire religions. They've molded entire prophets just so that in the future they could appear to people who were Christians in the image of Christ. Why? So that they could teach them, you know, manipulate and, and afflict and do all of these things. Uh, but the intentionality here, guys, it's very, very unique. I mean, if we go back to, to different cases of uh, possession, it's, it's irrefutable I mean, it's, it, we, we see the clear, we see it, the clear pathology here. Watch this. Did you know that in the 16th century that these Ikebai spirits were not just appearing to women? They were having intercourse and then they were possessing them afterwards. That the possession took place after the penetration occurred. Right. Okay. So what are we looking at here? We're looking at a sexual pathology that is far different. Than, than what mainstream evangelicalism really wants it to be. It's 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 all it's all connected. So, do you think that so some of the religious text has actually been written in a way that conditions people to accept that? Yes, this is the way. Oh yes. Oh God, yes. Matter of fact, Dr. Collar Turner, she has a book called The Masquerade of Angels, right? where they, one of these uh, abductees asked them, are you angels? Now, that's a loaded question. According mm -hmm. to what tradition, right? According to what Abrahamic religion? Well, they said, oh, yeah, we are. No. But what they're doing, though, is they're conforming to our beliefs. And in many cases, I believe they're the ones who authored them. And then it's like, okay, there's a famous Hasidic rabbi named uh, Martin Buber. He's long deceased now, but he, he, has a, he has a sentence. Oh, my God. He says, God speaks a word and steps into it. Forget about the God part. What he's talking about is a blueprint of existence, an image, a replica, an archetype. What they've been doing is they've been giving us sentences for millennia, images, authoritative figures. And then in abductions, they've been stepping into those images they've created. So we we talked to someone and we got to the point of talking that mm -hmm. Jesus himself was a hybrid alien. Yes, that's I've heard that many times. Yeah. So also another bit that 
always makes me think, uh, and I'm not a religious person at all, but in the Bible, it talks about God makes man in his own image. Right. So are we talking that we are the image of these this alien race? I think or... that the hybrids that they're mm-hmm. making are. Okay. I didn't want to... Is there... I didn't want to interrupt you if there was like a second part of the question. No, <laughs> that, no that was it. No, no, no. <laughs> was that it? Okay. <laughs> no, that was it. I, I wasn't sure where I was going to go, so okay. thank you for jumping in. It's <laughs> like Michael Scott. Sometimes I, sense, <laughs> I have no idea. What no, no. Uh, so if we're going to get, I mean, okay, well, let's look at the sexual, sexual pathology and behavioral patterns, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of hard not to look at Mary, the mother of Jesus, and say, okay, here she is with an unexpected pregnancy, and she's claiming she hasn't had intercourse, right? So what's going on here? What I can say is that there seems to be a war raging between a presence throughout all of history. doesn't matter if we go through, you know, Egyptology, the Mesopotamian text, whatever. Just, you know, just because these legends evolved into each other does not mean there wasn't an author of it does not mean that there was an intelligence that says, hey, listen, you can see my consciousness bleeding through every religion. You know, it, it very much does mean that. And so what we do have with Yeshua or Jesus is an unprecedented exorcist to the likes of which the world has never seen before and has never seen again. Uh, so if we're looking at consciousness in a body, right, which is what he would have been, we need to realize that he did not argue with these entities. When these entities would possess people, he did not even have to. No, it was essentially go. You're gone. Done. Just go away. And so if we're going to to look at the aspect of consciousness and bodies that are at war with each other, that seems to be what we have now. And uh, so that would be my point. Now, is he an alien? I don't believe he is. But then again, we have yet to define the term alien Mm -hmm. because we have illegal aliens. We have legal terms for aliens. Right. So what are they? No, it's just another way that we're we're limiting our vocabulary. And truthfully, it's not our fault. The phenomenon is just massive. Mm -hmm. So where do you think all this ties in with modern ufology? I'm not sure you you. Sort of of aware of all the recent stuff with the Pentagon videos, with the U.S. military, uh, U.S. uh, government official task forces that are investigating the phenomena, Uh, and more recent has been more scientific approach towards the study of UFOs and UAP. Where do you think this fits in with with that side of it? Okay, number one, I do believe that uh, we're dealing with orbs in many cases. Um, orbs that are much larger. It seems to be that uh, there is an evolution of consciousness to where we do have a difference in sizes. Like if you go into a malevolent haunting, you'll see these orbs. Some of them are big as basketballs that'll float. It's the same things that many cases we've seen in the sky. Uh, Now, put that aside, let's look at the physical nature, the materialistic aspect of this phenomenon. If we go back into history, these entities were absolutely enchanted with merging consciousness with metal. Watch this, okay? It's very interesting. We go back into biblical history, we have what are called the teraphim. Teraphim were literally, it was was a ritual, a necromantic ritual, where uh, somebody would go out and dig up a recently deceased person. They'd take them into their home. They would take a small piece of metal, hollow implant, 
they would carve the name of an unclean spirit. In the Hebrew, it's tumaruah. It's literally consciousness that's dead. It's the it's disincarnate, disembodied. They would carve the name of that unclean spirit on that piece of metal. Then they would implant that metal into that body. And the consciousness would merge with the metal and would reanimate the body. That's the origin of the implant. Number one, step two, number two, Oh, this gets good. I do believe this is why we have 65% of abductees saying that the ship itself, where I'm going, where I'm going is alive. Okay. And that's my, that's my perception of it. Um, but in terms of the threat they would pose, I mean, if they're 80,000 feet above our nuclear silos and are turning them off, got a problem. If they're if they're on radar and they're flying above the ocean and they split into two, you got a problem. It... <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, my goodness. so where so where do you see uh, the future of your work as times are changing? Obviously, we've had a very strange last twelve months. Yep. Um, we've got potential disclosure imminent, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, coming up, or probably not, but the the fact that it's becoming so mainstream about UFOs and uh, and the phenomena itself, where do you see your work linking and going forward? Um, I want to understand how we have misinterpreted demonic possession, mm-hmm. and ha- and also how it links in with this phenomenon. Because I'm gonna before we get off here, I'm going to. Um, read an account that tethers both of those concepts together. Uh, but more than that, um, I want to understand more about how they consider possession to be a form of pregnancy. Yeah. Okay. So right. It's not just that they're walking into us there. Uh, these abductees are experiencing things where they're literally turning on a unified stream of consciousness. We where, where they're remembering things that don't belong to them. They're seeing like there's one case which I'll read you real quick. It's not even mm-hmm. like it's a ten year old. You know he's talking about um, I call it um, switching eyes. It's uh, literally this this ten year old kid. He's in bed. He says I was immediately aware that for some reason I was seeing through someone else's eyes as they approached the house from the west. I did not know who they were or how it was possible to see through its eyes. I felt as it was somehow able to read my thoughts. And it was allowed to be looking through me. Now, here's the issue, guys. If they're looking through that kid's eyes, why is, you know, what's he seeing? He's seeing through theirs. So, so we got to look at possession. Again, we got to look at possession. We have what, what's what I call memory in motion. As, you know, why is it that um, people are uh, literally entertaining consciousness that doesn't belong to them? We also have to look at the fact that they consider possession to be pregnancy because they're placing memories and bodies. And the memories are attached to the consciousness. Cool. And you, you mentioned that you um, a, a, a couple of books. Uh, did you want to talk about those and where people can yeah. find those books? Yeah. So my first book was A Moment Called Man. And I, mm-hmm. uh, I wrote it for empaths. And I kind of – I talk about different things. But I, I lost a friend to drug addiction. And uh, it was simply because he was an empath and he – was medicating the gift he was called to manifest. And so I lean heavily in that direction in a moment called man. My second book is, uh, it's, it's all about what we talked about tonight. 
and it's called a skin the skin that crawls you can pre-order it go on my instagram go to my bio and there's the link you can pre-order it and um so yeah i'm excited to get that into the hands of experiencers because guys honestly i've been getting messages nonstop from women who have no advocacy they can't go to a priest and talk about how they're birthing someone else's babies and they can't go to a ufologist and say hey listen i feel like i'm dealing with a demon so somewhere we have to shred the dogma to get the data. And so that's um, that's where I'm at right now. Brilliant. Well, uh, thanks very much for coming on and joining us, uh, Nathaniel. It's been uh, fascinating. And definitely some new topics that we've Ooh. never experienced. It's been fascinating to see uh, <laughs> hear more on some um, incredible cases that you've talked about. So thanks very much for, for sharing them with us. Man, thanks not a problem. Thank you guys for having on me, man. Like, thanks for having me, rather than... Congratulations on the podcast, you know, seven months is, is not a long time to be as successful as you guys are, so that's awesome. <laughs> Thank, Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Pursuit of the Paranormal with Ash and Greg.